0: heart does not have to direct its frustration toward anyone to complicate that relationship. All the angry person has to do is stand in the vicinity of those who receive the spillover of their anger. Whether you're mad at someone or you're just intoxicating the room with your frustration, it will damage the redemptive goals that you may have for the casualties of your anger. Every parent, every partner, every pastor, every peer must learn to bring sinful anger into submission to Christ, or it will complicate the lives of other people. In context of this video and podcast and the article that I have for you here, I am talking about how our anger, the anger of parents specifically, can complicate the life of a child. Hello everyone, this is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am so glad that you are here. As always, with our content these days, you can read, watch, or listen And so I have a complete article. I'm going to share it with you word for word. But if you want to read that article, you can go on our website and do so inside the article. You will find the podcast embedded. You will also find the video embedded, too. And so please take advantage of it. The title of the article, the video, and the podcast is When the Parent's Anger Complicates the Life of the child. And so let me share with you this case study, and then I want to get into it, into a diagnosis. I want to analyze it, and I trust that it will bring some help to you. Every parent needs to listen to this, uh, what I'm presenting here, because this is a problem. All of us get angry. All of us become sinfully angry. And unfortunately, the truth is those who are closest to us receive the spillover, and so we can complicate their lives. And so this is an instructive and helpful Uh, article that I have for you, and I I trust that the Spirit will work in your heart as He needs to and as you need for Him to, and it can bring your family into a a more tighter, redemptive, repentive community. Billy is your, Biffy rather, is your typical eight-year-old kid. He laughs, and he plays, and he gets into trouble. Unfortunately, the getting in trouble part seems to be causing all the problems in their home, so I had to meet with Biff and Mabel. We connected at the local Starbucks to talk through some of their parenting challenges with Biffy. While they were more interested in Biffy's wrongs, I actually wanted to start in another place, which is where I usually begin with parents who bring a young child in for counseling I knew I knew that parents of rebelling children often focus too quickly on the disruptive child bypassing an essential step in the ongoing family problems. Though all angry people are primarily responsible for their anger, it's not uncommon that they received help. In becoming angry, especially angry children. I have said this before, but I was an angry teenager who ended up in jail as a 15-year-old kid, but I did not get there by myself. And though I do not place primary responsibility on my parents, there would be no biblical warrant or permissibility to do that. My parents were secondary causal agents parents can assist. They can be a complicating shaping influence in a child's life. And so I'm not placing Biffy's anger anger in the lap of the parents, but they can be. And in this case, uh, they can be secondary causal influences. In counseling parlance, we call these shaping influences that impact a child's early development for good or evil. There can also be positive redemptive biblical shaping influences too. I know that a great starting point and helpful way to think about this type of counseling case, problem solving in the home, is to answer a few questions about the parents' lives and their marriage. And so I ask them, Biff and Mabel, about them, particularly how they relate to Christ and each other. Now, you want to be careful as you do this, because parents typically come in, and they have a point of focus, and that point of focus is with their child, in this case, eight-year-old Biffy. And so it can be too much of a shock to their souls if you introduce this idea of them examining their relationship with God and each other first. And so you want to be careful, you want to build the appropriate relational bridge, but you have to have this inside information. You need this insight. Biffy did not get to where he is in eight short years all by himself, even though he's primarily responsible for his own uh, choices that he is making. And so if you have disobedient children, how would you answer these five questions that I ask Biff and Mabel? Perhaps talking about them with your spouse or a trusted friend would serve you well, this could be an excellent leadership opportunity. And though you don't want to forever hang out on the log in your eye, the humble truth seeker will spend time there first before he goes speck fishing. Here are the five questions that I asked Biff and Mabel. Number one, how would you describe your relationship with the Lord, Biff? And then, Mabel, how would you describe your relationship with the Lord? You want to get them to talking about their unique, specific, vertical relationship with God Almighty. Question number two, how would you describe your spouse's relationship with the Lord? This could be an affirming moment as each spouse brings their observations about their the other spouse's relationship with the Lord. By the way... If the spouses can't talk about or won't talk, rather, would be the better response. If they won't talk about their relationship with the Lord, or if they can't and won't talk about their relationship with the Lord as they see it in the other person, then there is a problem in the marriage. Number three, how would you describe your relationship with your spouse? Now you're getting them to talk on the horizontal plane. Number four. How would you practically, how are you practically living out these relationships in your home, your relationship with God and your relationship with each other? And then finally, number five, how is your spouse practically living out these relationships inside the home? These are vital conversation points that you must have, should have. I'm not saying you can have, because actually what's going to happen in most cases when you have a rebellious child— one or both spouses will not be willing to engage in this kind of humble conversations. And of course, that will tell you pretty much all you need to know as far as them being a complicating factor in Biffy's life. And so let me circle back for clarity's sake. It is essential to remember that no parent is the cause of a child's misbehavior. But it's also critical not to overlook how parental behavior behaviors shape young hearts. Parents are like the engine in the car. If you follow my metaphor, a properly functioning engine will make it run optimally. If the engine is defective, the vehicle cannot meet the designer's intent. And so if you want your home to run biblically optimal levels, you must address the engine first—the parents who run the home. If the parents are not right with God, if the parents are not right with each other, whatever biblical advice and instruction they provide to their children, it will not ring true. Children have internal baloney detectors, meaning they can tell when their parents are full of baloney. And then as they get older, well, it becomes easier for them to intuit that things are not ringing true between the parents, the children, the parents with each other, and the parents and their unique relationship with God. And though children can become God-centered, Christ-loving, Bible-guided adults despite their parents' lack of modeling and biblical assistance, you do not want to take for granted that parents do not matter in a child's life. Parents do matter. Every child from a dysfunctional home will viscerally lament how they long for parents who loved each other and provided a secure home environment conducive to nurturing growth. And so by unpacking the parent's relationship with God and with each other, you will gain insight into the car's engine and functionality. A counselor's mindset cannot be suspicion or cynicism, and I don't want to implant that in your mind, but we need a type of biblical discernment that understands the doctrines of harmoniology, meaning the doctrine of sin, and the doctrine of anthropology, meaning the doctrine of humanity. Are they doing all they can to help their child grow in Christlikeness? It would be best if you unearth all that needs addressing to help a family become biblically whole. When it comes to a rebellious child like Biffy, your initial objective is to understand his primary shaping influences, and that will be Biff and Mabel. After spending a few moments with Biff and Mabel, it became apparent that they were angry parents. They were immediately reluctant to accept my assessment when I first brought it up. I get this reaction regularly when addressing angry hearts. Many Christians do not have clear-headed, biblically-derived definitions of sinful anger. Some of them play down their anger or they rationalize or justify or blame it away as though more minor sins have a lesser impact on little hearts. Some believers have been angry for so long that they cannot see or hear themselves anymore. I guarantee you that their children can see and their children can hear them, even though the parents might not be as perceptive due to the dulling of their own consciences. Mercifully, Biff and Mabel wanted to learn about what I was learning about them. They cautiously listened as I walked them through our anger spectrum. By the way, if you're not familiar with our anger spectrum, there's a link here inside this article. I would appeal to you to click on it. You can go to our shareable graphics page, infographics, and you can click on infographics and you will find the anger spectrum. It is probably the most viewed infographic of the hundred plus infographics, shareable graphics that we have for you. And as I went through the anger spectrum, it revealed many behaviors that characterized how they related to each other and how they related to Biffy. I listed a few angry words that did not initially fit their impulsive and narrow interpretation of anger. I want to share those with you in just a moment. Their list, the ones that we begin to identify that apply to them, it's not exhaustive of all the manifestations of anger. And of course, their list is not in any particular order of priority. But as you roll through this list, as I uh, reveal, as I read these things to you, perhaps you can see how many of them might describe you, either episodically or as a pattern. Perhaps it would be helpful if you looked at the infographic, the anger spectrum, to gain a broader perspective on the many manifestations of anger. But as we teased out anger from the anger spectrum with Biff and Mabel Here are some of the angry words that resonated with them, either with Biff or Mabel or both. Impatience, frustration, slander, dismissiveness, irritation, bitterness, condemning, criticism, gossip, aggravation, apathy, self-righteousness, stubbornness, lecturing, exasperation, hand gestures, raising the voice, rolling the eyes, huffing under the breath, and silent treatment. These were just a few of the anger manifestations that, that came out of the anger spectrum, and Biff and Mabel both were owning those as, as their own. And as we continue to delve into how their anger manifests in their home, it became apparent that Mabel is an overworked stay-at-home mom. Mabel manages her anger by leeching out only a few episodes during the week. She is tired during her waking moments and rarely rests while sleeping. And that's pretty much the life of a stay-at-home mom. I started sheltering in place in 2003. We got way ahead of the curve on that one. And as I began to shelter in place, Lucia Uh, is, was a stay-at-home mom, and I began to see in a 24-7 way what it's like to be a stay-at-home mom. It is an unending job. It is a a tremendous job for any wife and mom to have, and as I said, Mabel is an overworked uh, stay-at-home mom who manages her anger, uh, but it still comes out. It leeches out in episodes during the week. Alternately, Biff is an unfulfilled and overworked production worker. He's discontented, or as he knows now through our conversation, he's an angry man who has not found his niche in life. He works to live, a utilitarian view of work that stirs longings for something more spectacular than a rote 9-to-5 existence. During their week, there are many times when their anger comes to the surface. The most apparent time is when Biffy messes up something, which points to Biff's dissatisfaction with life. He feels as though he missed his calling, but he could not come up with anything when pressed on what his calling should be. Both of them miss the connection between Biffy's anger and their discontentedness for the stay-at-home mom and the discontented production worker. They also did not see how their patterns and their episodes worked together to complicate what was happening in Biffy's soul. The family was in a sin cycle that looped from an angry kid to angry parents and back again. Because they compartmentalize their general states of anger, they miss the interconnectedness to Biffy and how they were complicating his life, too. Thus, when Biffy pushed their buttons and Biff and Mabel reacted harshly to him, they never addressed their sinful buttons as they worked with Biffy about his anger. When two or more individuals are in this type of sin cycle, they must not compartmentalize what is happening, or they will embrace the victim-center construct that will only perpetuate the distance. This dysfunction, meaning I am the victim and you are the sinner. And once we do that, you're the victim and I am the sinner, or you're the sinner and I am the victim. Once we do that, then we have the goodies and the baddies and they will be forever in conflict with each other. They need to see this looping sin cycle as they are complicating each other's lives, both of them guilty, both of them, all of them sinners and all of them as victims. What Biff and Mabel begin to see is how. Biffy was a people pleaser, and there was nobody in his life that he wanted approval from more than his parents. Thus, when they reacted in anger toward him, it amplified his soul noise, and because he was immature, he could not process it biblically. So he acted out. This is what happens when little—remember, Biffy's eight years old—and so this is what happens when young children, they don't know how to articulate. They don't have the categories. They don't have the, the ability to wordsmith what is going on with them. They don't have the the word fluency to be able to walk through what is going on, and so they can only act out in, in frustration. And so he had this continual amplification of soul noise, and because of his immaturity he could not process it biblically, and so he continued to act out. Hence the sin cycle was running rampant in this family. When Biffy was younger, he was more optimistic about pleasing his parents. He thought he could meet their expectations. Today, he is more exasperated than hopeful, which is part of the reason that he acts out. Biblically speaking, the fear of man has captured Biffy's heart. Biff and Mabel are only learning now how their angry hearts even if they are not directing the anger toward their son, perpetuates anxiety in their son. The mantra is that fussy parents make insecure children. Kids in these homes do not know how to process what their parents are doing except to internalize it, that is, fear through insecurity, or maybe they will externalize it, that is, anger by acting out. They will do one or the other. They'll internalize it, which will be a growing, unabated fear that will lead to insecurity, or they will begin to externalize it by acting out in anger. In Biffy's case, he externalizes his internal hurt by acting out in anger. The ongoing anger patterns are piling onto Biffy's pre-existing insecurities or fear of man. Insecure, Insecure lives need stability from the adults in the room to help settle their timid souls. Biff and Mabel are complicating their son's life. Biffy has spent many years walking on eggshells, hoping not to displease them. Today... He's at the place of giving up altogether. Fortunately, the light came on for Bill and Mabel. Their humility opened the door for God's favor, which effectuated the beginnings of change. They became acutely aware of what they had been doing to Biffy as secondary causal agents. And even though not directed at him, their general state of anger due to their respective immature relationships with God put him in a vulnerable position. It complicated his pre-existing fear of man. When you mix a people-pleaser, Biffy, with angry parents, Biff and Mabel, the insecure acceptance addict, Biffy, will be on edge, never knowing if he has the angry person's approval. Biff and Mabel will have to hold their culpability and Biffy's responsibility in a proper tension. They were piling on to his pre-existing problem, making it impossible for them to help him. They were disqualifying themselves from the parenting process. Their fear-based boy lives on the defensive, continually tightening up or shutting down as a matter of self-reliance, self-preservation. His approval drive was so strong that sometimes he would lie about what he was doing because he was scared of how his parents would react to him. He could sense in moments of tension that the wrong response meant disapproval. He erected a wall through deceit to protect himself from their rejection. That is a self-reliant method to try to protect yourself. Self-preservation Do you see how the complicatedness of sin can pretzel the mind to where people who who want to love each other stay frustrated with each other?" These complexities added layers of complication that circumvented any possibility of grace-filled conversations that led them to redemptive, transformative results. Now, there are many steps to wholeness that will take Biff and Mabel years to accomplish. But with a well-placed trajectory and accomplishable goals in view, the first thing for them to do is to recognize and to own their anger, their heart's general state, and how they episodically respond to their son. Now, my point here, by talking about years to work through this, is not to discourage anyone who is beginning down this path, but a call to sit down and to count the cost so that early disappointments do not defeat the long-term hope that we have in the gospel. We have people who often come to us who want their problems fixed right now. It can take 20 years for them to get into this state. Let's say, just in Biffy's case, it is taking eight years to complicate his life. I'm not saying it's going to take eight years for him to unravel and unwind and begin moving down a redemptive path, but it's going to take more than eight months. It's going to take a while. In counseling, we call people like Biff and Mabel a complicating problem. Biff and Mabel have been piling on to a pre-existing issue with Biffy. To help their son, they must rein in their anger. It's not helping. More succinctly, they have to repent. As they begin to understand what is happening inside their hearts, they can identify and isolate the idolatries tempting them to become angry Their anger is not because of Biffy messing up, but because of something broken in their relationships with God and possibly their relationships with each other. And though they will not have a perfect home, they could have a repentive. home home, which is always the goal. Some things are not right in their souls, so they must begin vertically with God, not horizontally with Biffy. Please hear that clearly. At some future time, they need to talk to Biffy about their anger and what their plans are to change. Biffy needs to hear them owning something that he already knows about them it will go a long way to diffuse the tension in his heart if he has assurances backed up by measurable changes as they recognize their part in the family's problems. The rule of thumb is the sphere of the offense, the sphere of sin, the circle of sin, and the sphere of confession should be similar. Biff and Mabel must admit the sphere of sin, the sphere of transgression, and then they must confess to all the offended parties, which would include Biffy. In addition to owning and repenting of their sins, Biff and Mabel must go beyond their confession, which includes putting on a new kind of behavior, as Paul talked about in Ephesians 4, 24. Their anger, meaning their communication, their communication style has been demotivating Biffy. Now they can motivate him, for example, by being encouragers, by identifying evidence of the Lord's good work in Biffy's life. When Biffy does something right, they should identify it, they should isolate it, they should tell him, That he is doing a good thing. They want to be encouragers more than discouragers. Discouragers I've been talking about with their anger. They can be encouragers as they motivate him by grace. Now Biffy will be cautious of the changes in his parents lives, which is okay. Part of his apprehensiveness will be the residual fear of them becoming angry with him. He has been trained this way, and it's going to take him a while to work through it. Biff and Mabel must realize that their repentance does not mean their son will be equally repentive or receptive to his new parents. They also need to know that their repentance will not be perfect. They will blow it from time to time because the angry heart does not disappear like flipping a switch. But here's great news. Their assured future failure—yeah, that's what I meant—their assured and assumed future failure will provide the perfect context to prove their seriousness about changing. When Bill, Finn, Mabel get angry again in the future, guess what? They can repent again. Their repentance in the future will prove their seriousness about change and the power of God's grace in their lives. As they live out this penitent state, they can come alongside Biffy now to help him to overcome his life-dominating sin of fear, fear of man specifically, which is at the heart of his anger issues. There should be a softening of Biffy's heart within a few weeks. The rule of thumb is that you're looking for the presence of change, not the perfection of it. And if Biffy sees the presence of change in his parents' then that will be a motivating factor for him to change, too. The title of this article is, When the Parent's Anger Complicates the Life of the Child. Let me hit a few questions in the call to action, and then we'll wrap up this podcast. Number one, would you take the time to describe your redemptive efforts with your children as you examine your life, your marriage, your family? Number two, are you quicker to pile on to the problem? By choosing a preferred form of anger, meaning that when your child messes up, you get angry at them, sinfully angry at them. Are you quicker to pile on? That is a disqualifying approach to parenting. Number three, are you quick to judge the log in your eye before you address the speck in the other person, which is what I've been doing throughout this podcast. Number four, think of a time when you disqualified yourself from parenting your children because you had sinned against them. What did you do to requalify yourself? And number five, how do those closest to you experience you when they do something wrong? By the way, if you want a great book on marriage, I recommend this one. Get ready. You can get it on Amazon. Thanks for listening.